What a finish from Balogun. Oh, Benyatta, beautifully done. Bobby York, surely. There it is. Mbappe now. Wonderful. Got to be. Lovely finish. Goes for goal. Terry Mbappe. It's Ellie White. Ellie White. Well, it's been coming. Coming by Jonathan Davies. Kylian Mbappe brings the Parc de France to its feet. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Le Bourgeois, the official Liga Uber Eats podcast in English. We have an absolutely massive episode coming up for you today. We are taking a look back at two rounds of Liga football, rounds 19 and 20. We're having a look ahead to the next two rounds of Liga football as well as the return of European action with Paris Saint-Germain headlining against Real Sociedad the Spaniards in the Champions League. The transfer window has slammed shut. Jonathan Johnson is joining us to talk about his top five winter signings. We'll be announcing the winner of our Ludovic Blas Wren jersey from our Deja Who competition and giving you a chance to win a Toulouse top in the next month. We've got an AFCON update from Andy Scott in Abidjan in the Côte d'Ivoire. We'll be having a look at the latest from the Ligue 1 players in the Asian Cup as well. And to get through all of that and perhaps even a little bit more if there's any more time, I'm very happy to say I'm joined by Ligue 1 commentator Andreas Evagora. Andreas, a pleasure to have you back. Good to be back. How are you? I'm very well. How are you going? Good. <laughs> busy weekend. Very busy weekend. Well, that's what football journalism does to you in the, in the middle of winter. <laughs> What about you, Luke Entwistle, our man on the Côte d'Azur? How are you going and, and have you been busy as well? Very busy. Very happy to be on for the first time in 2024. So Happy New Year to, to everyone and all the listeners. It would be very French to still wish Happy New Year, even though it's, it's February. Uh, you know, so long as you've not seen them, you still have to wish them Happy New Year. <laughs> I, I don't know when the cutoff is, maybe April, who knows. Uh, but yeah, very happy to be back. And, <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, busy week. And also we've got some Coup de France coming up this weekend as well. Uh, the return of Champions League, as you say, February is just, uh, feels like the month where things kind of get going again after a bit of disruption in January with, you know, cup football and league and football kind of intertwined. So, so very happy that we've got the midweek games back too. That's a very good point. I, I, I left that out. We have a cup round coming up as well in the last 16 in midweek. You are listening to Le Bourgeois. We've got a massive show coming up. Don't forget to like, subscribe and uh, give us a little review and share us with your friends as well on all your favourite podcast platforms. Well, without any further ado, let's jump straight into the action. It was a big couple of weeks in Liga, actually, rounds 19 and 20 because some of the big guns were going head-to-head, -head, most notably Paris Saint-Germain. And uh, after a draw with Brest in which they blew a two-goal lead and the Pirates were at their swashbuckling best in that one to come back at the, at the Parc des Princes, then Paris Saint-Germain, Luis Enrique's side, almost repeated the dose against Strasbourg on the weekend. They were two goals to the good again and Strasbourg came flying back into it. From the weekend's match, Matt Spiro was on the microphone. It comes to nothing. Colomwani at the other end. Is that a penalty? It's a penalty. Less than four minutes on the clock and uh, PSG have a spot kick following a, a rash challenge from Luca Perrin. Mbappe against Belarus. And Mbappe 
has been denied. Incredible. Alain Belarouche on his league and debut denies the superstar that is Kylian Mbappe from 12 yards. Belarouche. Oh dear. Belarus has lost it. Oh, he's gifted PSG the opener. And his dream turns into a nightmare. Kylian Mbappe turns it into the empty net. Paris Saint-Germain gifted an opening goal. It's good pressing from Marco Asensio. He anticipated very well, saw what Belarus was trying. And Mbappe won't get too many easier goals than that one. Goal number 20 of the season for Kylian Mbappe. They have... Numbers in this attack. The ball has found Marco Asensio and he strokes it into the back of the net. Another goal for Asensio. 2-0 Paris Saint-Germain. And it could be too tall an order now for Strasbourg. Clinical counter. Mbappe rolling it invitingly after the initial pass by Fabian Ruiz. An assist for Mbappe. Goal number four in league on this season for Marco Asensio in his second in the space of a week. Angelo. Angelo's cross is a really good one. There's the goal. Turned in at the far post by Bakwa. The game is alive again. And the Stade de la Meno is on its feet. That's what these young Strasbourg Tyros are capable of. Brilliant cross from Angelo. And the finish, extremely tidy. From Dylan Bakwa. It's only his second league on goal. One to remember against PSG and Donnarumma. So, Andreas, Paris Saint-Germain. Four points from a possible six in two big games. They've extended their lead at the top of the table, if nothing else, over this period in which they are negotiating more transfer rumours concerning Kylian Mbappe, of course, what's new. All the talk at the end of 2023 was how we were starting to see a Luis Enrique style, that it was starting to take shape and that this team was going to continue to get stronger and stronger heading into that Champions League tie against Real Sociedad. Is that really the case on what we've seen in the last two weeks? I think the last two games were a little bit worrying. You're absolutely right that uh, Luis Enrique's always said, we'll be better in February. That's one of his mantras, you know, wait till February, we'll be better in February. They came across two very good teams, Robbie. Uh, Brest, I was really impressed with. Um, the second half, Brest were fantastic, and they deserved that draw with an excellent equaliser from um, uh, Pereira Lage. Look out for that one. Um and Strasbourg are not at all the same team that I commented a couple of times in September when they were awful. They're a decent team now, Strasbourg, and they gave PSG um, a good game. I wouldn't be too worried. I think the, one of the big problems for PSG is, is missing Ashraf Hakimi because he, he started the season so well at right back. And PSG have tried two or three options, I think, at right back that haven't really worked out with Soler. Um, with Zaire Emery trying to play this kind of hybrid role, which is it's really hard. A few teams play that where the fullback comes and plays into midfield. And I think it's asking a lot of those two teams. I think once uh, Hakimi comes back, obviously he was on, on, on AFCON duty. And if Dembele is fit, those two work really well for me um, with Hakimi coming inside and, and Dembele hugging the, the touchline. So I think that they've missed that. That's what I'm getting at. I think they've really missed that attacking option down the right. Um, I think four points is 
fair enough. Um, I think uh, they've missed also Pereira a little bit. Uh, they tried Beraldo at centre-back and he's just adapting to French football. We've said it before, French football is very physical compared to the Brazilian game. Um, so that's something else to look at. So I think over the two games, four points is a decent return, but they will need to improve um, in the Champions League against a useful, more than useful Real Sociedad team. Luke, Kylian Mbappe did get on the score sheet against Strasbourg, but it was a bit of a strange one. Put yourself in the in the place of poor old Ala Belarus. Um, not Belarus. He's not a Belarusian, <laughs> a, a Belarusian, but uh, Ala Belarus, the 22-year-old who's come in for Matt Sells, who, who, who's jumped ship during the, the, the winter transfer window, but he produced a sensational penalty save to deny Kylian Mbappe. For me, um, it was a pretty soft penalty call, to be honest. I thought Perrin sliding in, maybe maybe Colomwani just got a touch, maybe he was looking for it, but it was an incredible penalty save, only to, to do what happened next. Yeah. I mean, it, it was... <laughs> It, it was, you know, a mixed bag to say the least, but it was made worse by the fact that here in France, uh, the penalty save wasn't actually aired. So our broadcaster was close up on Kylian Mbappe from a side angle. Uh, so the save was not broadcast here in France. Nobody saw it. Um, it took until a couple of minutes <laughs> after to, to realize that the, it, obviously you knew it hadn't gone in, but to realize it had been a, a save rather than, you know, hitting the woodwork. Uh, so, you know, a proper shame for Belarus to, in his first league and start, to make a save from, you know, the best player in the world. Obviously, you reference him what happened after, which was, <laughs> I think that was just pure inexperience, you know, not quite reading the rhythm and the speed of the game. Um, and obviously, Asensio, is, is, you know, he's always been a good presser of the ball. He times things well. He, you know, cuts passing lanes really well. That's why he has always been liked by Luis Enrique. But yeah, a, a real... Mixed bag, it was really, you know, hero to zero in the space of just a couple of minutes almost. So, um, yeah, a mixed debut. I think it was a couple of days after his 22nd birthday as well. So, you know, feel a bit sorry for the lad. Well, Andreas, I want to hear your expertise on this because I know you're involved in broadcast. And how did this, how could this happen? And is that just avant-garde television that we're looking only at the penalty taken now, the same way we have the reverse <laughs> shot of the coach during a penalty shootout? I mean, is that... Is this the future? Uh, I, I certainly hope not, because I, I'll let uh, our listeners into a bit of a secret. I was commentating this for another outlet, but I wasn't at the ground. So all I saw was uh, what Luke just described. Um, so I just said something along the lines of, you know, and Mbappe's been denied to not having a clue what was going on. What happens is there are about 25 cameras at League Gun Games, and I've spent quite a lot of times in, in galleries, where, which is the, the final production room. And in France, uh, directors are known to try to be a little bit artistic, put it that way. And what happened there was the director forgot that Kylian Mbappe has a very short run-up, of course, before his penalties. So he was using the camera without getting too technical behind the camera to get the, the close-up and to zoom in on Kylian Mbappe's eyes and trying at the last minute to cut to the main camera to see the actual penalty but he just cut too late or maybe his finger was in the wrong place or who knows what happened i think i know one or two people who are actually in that room so maybe next time i can find out but for the viewers uh, it, it was it was awful and there's some jokes going around that belarus will never be able to show his grandkids the him saving a penalty from killing him back of course the other cameras picked it up and it was shown but live it, it was it was a really 
very, very difficult and disappointing for him and disappointing for the viewers. But more seriously, um, it's going to be interesting to see Belarus because it was a real surprise that Matt Sells left. For me, he's one of the top three keepers in France. I really rate Matt Sells. Um, and that's a big loss for Strasbourg as an aside. But that's a shame for Belarus. But, you know, hopefully we'll see him making a lot more good saves this season. Yeah, I, I mean, on the, the Matt Sells leaving, I mean, it seems like it was him that was very keen on that move, but it's one that has definitely uh, ruffled a few feathers, it seems, yeah. maybe at the club, but very much in the fans. I mean, they've not been a fan of the Blue Co ownership since they came in. It, you know, even with the downturn and the upturns in form, you know, it very much transcends uh, the club's form, their, their kind of resentment to the new owners. So it's definitely one that brought up that resentment again, because as you say, you know, the average age of that squad is so, so, so low. Uh, I was looking at statistically, I think that starting 11 was the youngest since Rance in February 2022. So it's a very, very young side, the Strasbourg side, and losing basically your only very experienced player is um, it's a big mess. It's a big mess. Luke, we'll stay with you. Nice, they uh, were next up to take on Brest at the weekend after Brest's heroics against Paris Saint-Germain and a, and a really spectacular match of football. This was perhaps, shall we say, more in keeping with the two sides' real DNA and not to, not to be disparaging about it. It finished scoreless and that has been the foundation really of the, the success of these sides this season. Yeah, I mean, especially Nice, I think, you know, the best bet when you're kind of going into the match is to expect a 1-0 or a 0-0. I mean, I think they've won by a 1-0 scoreline six times uh, already this season in Liga. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. Um, you know, you could see it as them doing the bare minimum or you could see it as, you know, expert game management. I think that most people are now starting to err on, on the side of the latter. Um, but yeah, Nice and Brest as well. I mean, Brest, you know, Chardonnay was... was I thought brilliant in that game, especially aerially. And then the other side, you're looking at Dante and Tadebo. There's no errors there. They're, you know, neither of those centre-backs are error-prone. And those on the sides as well, Melvin Bard, there's lots of questions about him coming into the season. They're always trying to find a new left-back. And every time he kind of steps up and then stakes his claim again. So yeah, two defensively solid sides. And, you know, they say that defences win championships. And I don't think either of these sides, you know, will win, win Ligue 1. I think that that's quite fair to say, but... I think that, you know, defences can get you into the Champions League. And what a, a story it would be if Brest could manage Champions League football. And they're really gunning for it. I mean, we've spoken a little bit about the transfer window, but them, you know, warding off advances for Lillian Brassier and Pierre-Lise Melu. Good money was offered for Melu, you know, 30, you know, he's in his 30s at this point. Could be a chance to cash in, but they think that, you know, this team can lead them to Champions League football. So I think, you know, you have to give a bit of credit to the, the people behind the scenes who have kind of shown the ambition and thought, you know, let's keep this team together and see how far we can go because defensively solid, Eric Roy continues to, to work his magic there after years and years out of management. Um, yes, yeah, definitely one of the stories, if not the story of, uh, of the season so far. I think Luke's absolutely right. I, I, was, I did the, the, the World Feed commentary for that match yesterday and listening into the interviews they do at halftime, it was funny, both pl- players from both teams said, the first goal is going to win this. <laughs> and it doesn't mean they were defensive teams because it was, it was tactically, it was a good, uh, it was a good match. But um, as Luke was saying, as soon as the ball was anywhere, you know, in danger, the two defenses were really on top of it. So yeah, uh, two teams with, with very good defenses. And I agree. I, I, they're not going to be challenging PSG, but they're two very well-built teams. Another one of the big stories, Andreas, this season has been Lens. They've been a fantastic story, really, since their return to the top flight. But 
Perhaps the idea of playing Champions League football as much as anything else was what was so hard for them, plus the fact they lost Seko Fafana. But they're starting to find some form. They're starting to put pressure on. Dreams of returning to European football next season are alive and well. They got a win 2-0 over Toulouse, followed that up with a 1-0 win over Nantes. Um, and David Pereira da Costa scoring in back-to-back games his first league and goals. Brice Somba is in excellent form for them as well. Can they leave it late, but are they going to force their way right into the reckoning and into back into Champions League discussions again? I, I think they can. I commentated that match as well, which is why well, I've got a bit of a bit of a sore throat this morning. Excuse me. I, um, <laughs> I I think Lons have been very good the last couple of weeks. I've been very impressed with Andy Duf, who's a player who people were talking about one. He's had a couple of good games. Check out the goal he scored against Toulouse. An absolute screamer. Brilliant goal. Defensively, they're looking much more solid. I think that's nine clean sheets in 12 matches, something like that. Um, and what's another interesting thing with Lonzi's, uh, Franck Ayres got a, a touchline ban, you may remember, a few weeks ago for criticizing the referees. So he was sat up in the stands and he actually, the, the touchline ban is over, but he's decided to stay in the stands. And he gave an interesting interview saying that he actually finds it much better to sit in the stands to analyze a match because he not only can he see the play better, but he, he had what I think he called it an emotional detachment. Because, you know, when you're on the touchline, you're maybe getting involved in things too much. And it's something I've always been a bit curious about why coaches are by the touchline. I mean, obviously, you can shout instructions at players, but how much do they really hear in a big stadium? And you do get a much better view when you're in the stands. And Franquez, the, 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 the director, who actually did a very good job on Saturday, uh, was often cutting to Franquez and we saw him analysing the game. And, and, you know, you can see everything on the monitor these days and replays and the, and the rest of it. So Fronquez is doing a great job. Uh, the defence is good. Uh, Andy Duf, impressed with him. And a, another player we've talked about a lot, the goal scorer, David Pereira, a really skillful guy and was brilliant. You know, he's, he scored an exceptional goal, nearly scored another goal in the first minute. So, yeah, I, I actually can see Lens top three now. They've got a bit of work to do, but I can see them top three, top four. Luke, I was going to ask you about Toulouse, but I, I think I'll change my mind and we'll chat a little bit about Ren. Because Martin Terrier is, I think we can safely say, finally back. Um, it's been a long road for him, but he's been scoring goals. And Julien Stefan's return to Rennes as well has, uh, has really seen them turn the corner. They're an attractive side. They've got a great stadium. They've got great fans. Um, it's good to see. I think they're a, they're a story that, that the Ligue 1 is better off for having a strong red, not this one that was really struggling in the first part of this season. Yeah, I mean, the reasons for their kind of lack of form was was always a little bit baffling because I think we say every transfer window that they've had potentially the best transfer window. They pick up all of the players that we say, you know, there's so much added value in this play. You could bring him in, you could sell him on for the this, that and the other. But so many players actually in recent seasons have come in and actually haven't really improved. Um, and I think what you're seeing is, is a few players who were starting to have doubts about. I mean, Martin Terry is, you know, a huge player, was a huge player before that ACL last season. It's been, you know, 13 months now. And it only feels as though, as you say, now that we're seeing Martin Terrier, um that we saw prior to that huge injury. But you're even seeing Arno Kalimwendo, who was, you know, he was, you know, rumoured with a departure. You've seen him step up as well. You know, his performance levels have increased uh, in this month of January, as with the rest of the squad, I feel as though maybe Ren have benefited more, you know, maybe most from this winter break, where 
Julian Stefan, who hasn't had much time to work with those players because it's Liga out and then it's Europe, then it's Liga out, then it's Europe. You know, he's had two, three days to work with his players. I think he's really benefited from having two weeks where he can work with it's, it's quite a large squad as well, but he can make proper judgments on all the players with, within that squad, find the best system to get the best out of all of them. And I think that, you know, that's bearing fruit now. Seeing a couple of departures, a couple of really interesting signings as well. I know we'll go into that later, but I think that that squad is looking one of the healthiest um, and and one of the most exciting in, in Liga as it was at the start of the season. But the the results simply simply weren't there. But it certainly feels as though they've turned a corner. I think you've got lots of teams coming from far back. Them, uh, Marseille, who knows you know kind of in what direction they're going. But Lons, all of whom had poor starts to the season slash maybe still aren't performing. But some of those teams on the podium, you know, Monaco a little bit inconsistent now as well. People looking over the shoulders. I think that there's, you know, a bit of a rapprochement there between teams who were, who had a great start to the season and those that didn't have a great start to the season. I think that the, the battle for the Champions League, but also just the European places could get really tasty in the next few weeks. Well, we do have Marseille, Lens and Rennes now in seventh, eighth and ninth places. They are just outside the five. Rennes' win over Lyon was important on a number of levels, one of which being it really put the brakes on Lyon and put them back down right in the, in the, the grasp of that relegation dogfight with Clermont and Lorient right behind them. But there was always that opportunity for redemption in one of the big games every season on, on the Ligue 1 calendar, the Olympico, which was taking centre stage, the big Sunday night game, in round 20 of the season. And astonishingly, it almost got off to a world record start because Amin Harit, the, uh, the, the Marseille, well, playmaker, I guess you'd say, winger, attacking midfielder, um, forward in the, in the old sense, took a shot from kickoff and the ball hit the crossbar in less than three seconds of the game <laughs> being underway. It was a real let off for Lopez in the Leon goal. But Leon, in the end, it wasn't always pretty, but they did manage to scrap out a 1-0 win courtesy of Alexandre Lacazette. Andreas, Olympic Lyonnais, is it unexpected that they could get that victory? Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for Olympic Lyonnais. I don't think it's a surprise because I don't really rate Marseille this season, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But what's going on about Lyon, um, it, it's, it is fascinating because remember the background is they weren't allowed to buy any players over the summer because of financial regulations. Um, but over January, they were the biggest spenders in Europe, which is incredible. They spent 50, I think it's 55 million euros, which could go up to about 85 million um, based on bonuses and all that stuff. They brought in seven, is it seven or eight players from Brazil, from Premier League, uh, from Belgium? It smacks a little bit of desperation to me. I think they'll be okay because they've got Lacazette. The one thing they have that the other teams in the bottom don't have is a, is a scorer, you know, and he, he it was a nice goal he scored last night, a real poacher's effort. He nearly got one or two more. They've changed the backroom staff. They brought in a guy called Laurent Prudhomme, who I actually worked with at Eurosport. Nice fella, very intelligent guy, uh, but very much a TV person, you know, a media person. He then ran Le Keep and he's, it's a big change, but you know, I wish him the best of luck. But he's now got to take on the egos of running, you know, a football club and players and contracts and that side of things. 
John Texto, who's not the most popular man in Lyon, he gave a, a rare press conference a few days ago. His his kind of message is always, we're too good to go down. There's no way we can go down. Come on, we're Lyon. We've got all these players. And I, I'm a bit worried about that as a message because it can backfire and it can come across as a little bit complacent. I mean, don't you want to be telling your players, come on, we've got to get ourselves together here. We've got to buck our ideas up because any course anyone can go down. A decent display last night. Um, the new coach, uh, he's doing okay. You know, it, again, my other question is, when all these players come in, do the coaches really want these players? You know, what's the plan, you know, for Leon? Uh, I think they'll be okay. It's going to be a big job to integrate all these players and a big four months because they could still go down. I mean, they, they just, I think, what level with the, the playoff spot. Brought in players who a lot of us probably don't know too much. One or two we do. And let's see how they go for the next few months. But it was a very important win last night. Yeah, they needed that after a couple of defeats. Well, it remains to this day after, after 20 matches, their worst ever start to a season, and they are not out of the woods yet. But, Luke, Marseille just can't seem to string any solid form really together. They've, had, they've perked up a little bit, but then this was a big match for them. And I think a few people are starting to really ask the question of Gattuso, aren't they? Is he the man for the job? Already the p- people were starting when he signed thinking this is another volatile type character that will either spark Marseille into action or spark a massive fireworks display of destruction and and, <laughs> and obliteration of, of the club. Um, it's neither at the moment, but perhaps, you know, the fuse is lit, I get the feeling there. Yeah, I mean... I did a piece actually slightly defending Gattuso last week, pointing out that he'd been dealt quite a, an unfair hand when he arrived. I was at the match against Brighton at the Velodrome in, I think it was in October, and in his post-match press conference, basically what, what you saw in that match is they were dominant, they were, I think they were 2-0 up, and then they got dragged back to 2-2 in the last half an hour, basically. And he just went, you know, all respect to Marcelino, but with my playing style and with his playing style, they're so disparate, they're so different that actually we can only play my football for 60 minutes and then we just drop off a cliff. So basically what he's had to do is install a pre-season regime whilst trying to keep competitive in Europa League and then also in the game, which is very, very difficult. But, you know, I think that period of grace does have to end at some point and I don't think you're seeing any tactical progression really in this team. I think, you know, there's more mitigating circumstances. There are absentees. There's no Chancellor Mbemba, so important, still at the AFCON. You've got no Jordan Veritu for that match. Condogby has become really important very, very quickly, I think, in that midfield too. And Valentin Rangier, the captain, also absent. So I'd say that your first choice midfield, I think, is probably Condogby, Rangier, Veritu. None of them are about, you know, none of them are available to Gattuso. But I think that the transfer business comes into question. Lots of players don't seem like they fit into what he's trying to do. There seems to be a lack of intensity, which is bizarre because, you know, Gattuso is Gattuso, you know, very much wears his heart on his sleeve, a very fiery character. Um, and apparently his kind of animalistic kind of nature almost kind of rubbed off, rubbed off, I should say, on on his players at the start. But that now seems to be rubbing off, if that makes any sense. And then that kind of influence seems to be waning <laughs> a little bit. So I, I think that there is definitely cause for concern. I mean, I, I remember John Texter saying that, you know, the the whole talk about relegation, he said it was good fodder a conversation uh, and saying that we're at risk of a very mediocre season. Well, well, I'd say that Marseille are also on track for 
a very mediocre season. But let's see, because there's so much quality in that squad. They could get their stuff together with a few weeks to go and somehow pull it out of the bag. Luke, you've just confused a lot of our French listeners that join us and trying to use football to improve their English. And, and, and you've just used rubbed off in, in two opposing which would make perfect sense, of course, because it's rubbed off and now it's rubbed off. But <laughs> so for our French listeners that are learning English via football and the League and podcast, and we know there are lots of you, enjoy that one and try and work it out. I, I agree with, with Luke. And I mean, not just, you know, putting the boot into Marseille. To, uh, that's another phrase to learn. Jonathan Close, right? I mean, it, to me, he's probably one of their, what, top two or three players. Fantastic player. Got substituted. And apparently put in a transfer request a few days later. And, and, and Marseille were trying to get rid of Jonathan Close. I mean, I'm like, when I saw that, I was like, you cannot afford to get rid of Jonathan Close at this stage. He's, he's one of your key players. And apparently it was because he got substituted. Now, what I'm getting at is that that surely shows something is not quite right at the club. Uh, a key player shouldn't be having that kind of reaction. And even if he does, you've got to be keeping those players. And, and I, I, I just... Think any? How often have we said this about Marseille? Really, anything could happen between now and the end of the season. It's very fragile. It's febrile, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if you know if they sink uh, a few more places. And we got to say, Vitinha's left. Um, that didn't work out at all. Record mm. signing. Although on the other side, they sold a Lodi for I think uh, the French press were reporting is their biggest ever sale. I think Drogba might have gone for a bit more, but they got a lot of money in. Um, and they bought in uh, Comtan Merlin, who was a really good left back from Nantes. Um, is it the right career move for him? I hope so, because he is a good player. and I enjoy watching Merlin. So a lot of changes, um, a lot of personalities at play. And it's going to be tough the next few months for Gattuso, that's for sure. Vitinha did give us, like, before he left, <laughs> one of the great yeah. misses of this season his in that 2 2 draw against well. Monarch. Inc- yes. His last touch in Ligue 1 football. I mean, for viewers who didn't see it, he, he, he was under the bar, right? I mean, the goalkeeper <laughs> was nowhere. He was under, this was like Sunday League stuff, wasn't it? Under the bar. It, and he just needed any kind of touch. And he just hit it away from the goal into the arms of the keeper. He completely, he didn't no. even get a foot no. anywhere near it. In the end, I mean, it was it was a remarkable, remarkable miss. So, thank you, Virginia, at least for for that contribution to, to to the season. You're listening to Andreas Evagora, Luke Entwistle, and myself, Robbie Thompson, the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast, Le Bourgeois. Coming up next, more transfer talk. The January transfer window in France this season saw plenty of action, lighting up the Ligue 1 Uber Eats landscape. But which players, which clubs did the best business? Who can expect the best return on investment and who can expect to play a key role at their new club? To find out more, we asked French football aficionado Jonathan Johnson to investigate. It's been a busy January transfer window in Lyon with a host of clubs making a raft of changes and some French sides being busier than others. There was no shortage of surprise moves and there were some returning faces too as a number of former Championnat stars made their returns to French shores. However, five moves stood out above the rest and the first of those involved Lyon, who are by far and away the busiest Lyon club this window. 
Gif Dorban and Malik Fofana arrived from Belgium. Aurel Mangala checked in late after joining from Nottingham Forest, while Lucas Perry and Adrielson were early signings from sister Eagle football side Botafogo in Brazil. We were almost denied a deadline day return to France for Saeed Benrama, who was due to join Lyon on loan from West Ham United, only for the move to fall through at the last minute for administrative reasons. Or so we thought. The Algeria international was pictured wearing OL's training gear on club grounds before news filtered out that the Hammers had not submitted the right documents on time in similar circumstances to Hakim Ziyech's dashed PSG move in the winter of 2023. Thankfully, it was eventually worked out to the player and his mother's delight. However, the most interesting move out of Lyon's January business actually came in a deal between two Ligue 1 clubs as Nemanja Matic left Rennes for Groupama Stadium. Although things never really worked out for the veteran Serbian midfielder in Brittany, Matic is a great pickup for OL, who badly needed experience and bite in the midfield as they seek to distance themselves from the relegation zone. I feel ready and motivated, said Matic upon his arrival. I just want to help the team so that together we can change things and start something better next season. Many people talk to me about the number of games I have played. This number gives me an idea of my career and my age, but I want to play as long as I have the right conditions to continue. Matic leaving Rennes in January meant that Julien Stefan's men needed to go out and bolster their ranks after a disappointing start to the season, which had left them well off of their expected pace. Prince Azor Matusiwa was identified as the solution to many of the issues in the middle of the park, and he was joined by Clermont's Alidou Seydoux in moving to Roison Park this winter. Interestingly, Matusiwa's transfer created an opportunity for Will Stills Haas to bring back Benjamin Stambouli after eight years away, one for the Ligue 1 nostalgia catalogue there. Matusiwa's move means that Matic's departure and Fabian Reader's injury were compensated for as Stefan starts to stamp his mark on the side after his return to the club earlier this season. Seydou, of course, coming in which allowed Lorenz Assignon to complete a loan move to Burnley, which was something of a surprise. Not as much of a surprise though as not opting to allow homegrown talent Quentin Merlin to move to Marseille on a permanent deal. Jocelyn Gorvenek's Canaries were busy reshuffling their options on either side of the defence, which included a return to France for ex-Toulouse man Kelvin Amiens. However, Merlin's move was the real surprise, given that the 21-year-old was the highest profile talent to have emerged from the Maison Jaune from the past few years. A superb get for OM, who also moved on record signing Vitinha just one year on from his arrival at Stade Vélodrome in what was a disappointing spell with the Southern Giants. Merlin and his new teammates will now be targeting an improved second half of the season showing under Gennaro Gattuso and a rise from the non-European positions in the Ligue 1 table. One of two very interesting January returns to France featured former Paris Saint-Germain man Thilo Kehrer just along the coast from OM in Monaco. The Germany international is back after a difficult spell with West Ham and has joined a Monégasque side in the fight for Champions League qualification. Kehrer is a solid defender on his day and his versatility makes him extremely useful to his coaches, so Adi Hütter now has a couple of different profiles in one player at Stade Louis II. PSG reunion set for March for Kehrer in what could be a championnat title encounter depending on results between now and then. 
Finally, staying on the Riviera, arguably the most unexpected arrival of the winter window was the return of Mohamed Ali Cho to French football after a spell with Real Sociedad. Still only 20, he burst onto the scene with Angers before being snapped up by PSG's Champions League round of 16 opponents. It did not work out for Cho in the Basque country, but he returns to France on a four and a half year deal and joins a Nice side currently second only to PSG in the table although he might be missing going up against one of his formative clubs in Europe this term. PSG will visit Nice in May for a game which could have major title ramifications. Cho will hope to recapture the form which made a host of European clubs sit up and take notice while he was with Angers and Francesco Farioli's side could be the perfect place for that. So who will fare best out of Matic, Matusiwa, Merlin, Kera and Cho? The second half of this league 1 season holds the answers and much more. We recently had a message from our listener Tom Love asking who our brains trust believes is the under the radar signing of the winter transfer window. Andreas, you've already spoken a little bit about transfers looking back at the wheelings and dealings of the last two weeks of Ligue 1 during when the window was still open. Who's your pick for winter signing and the, the one to watch out for in this last part of the season? Of Jonathan's picks, they're, they're an interesting uh, mix of players, aren't they? Uh, Matuziwa um, could be an interesting one because Will still did what Will still does, which is like he really improved the player. And that's always interesting to me when, when coaches get a player who's kind of good and make him into a very good player. And the question is, can Ren push him on and turn him into a, you know, a regular performer in Liga? I mean, he's, he's an excellent player. So that is definitely one to look out for. Uh, Merlin, I've talked about. Cho, I must say, I, I saw him yesterday. I've, I've commentated the last couple of Nice games. I think he's got a lot to do. A player with a lot of hype, Mohamed Ali Cho. I think he was... Wasn't he the youngest or the second youngest player ever to sign a professional contract? He was at Angers, wasn't he? And then, and then he went to Spain. It, it didn't work out at all for him in Spain. Um, and he's back. So, you know, he, he's going to need good coaching. Um, a, still a raw talent. Um, perhaps another one to look out for is, is Chavez at Lons, actually. I've seen a bit of him. He's, he's, again, come from South America, fitted in very well. And it's, he's also got a fantastic name, Robbie. It's Joanna Stalin Chavez. I've never actually commentated a player who's called Joanna Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> Look forward to that one. <laughs> if, there is, if he makes no other contribution but at least makes the bench, you will have that. That will be your, your, your moment. Luke, what about you? Who's, who's caught your eye and who do you think could be the, a, a revelation or at least you know a, a really profitable signing in this second half of the season? I think that... Mohamed Ali Cho does represent potentially long-term one of the best, if not the best, potential signing of the transfer window, even though, as Andreas says, he kind of looks off the pace at the minute. He didn't start against Brest. I think he's kind of taken out to take a step back and and get up to speed, but he's been really thrown in because there's been so many absences at Nice. Jeremy Boga and Terran Moffi, both away at the AFCON, Sofian Diop injured, so he's very kind of thrown in, maybe against Francesco Farioli's will, but there wasn't really any other option, but yeah, Mocho kind of needs to refine his mojo, I'd say, uh, at Nice, because it's been a couple of years since we've seen the levels that he he promised uh, Angers. But I, I think that asking for, you know, the best sign and who could have the biggest impact, I think it has to be uh, Mika Tadza, who has returned to Mets after that kind of failed six-month stint at Ajax. I mean, he was, despite leaving in August, he returned to Mets and was only one goal short of Mets's 
top scorer this season. <laughs> so to say that Mets have a you know have a problem scoring goals, I think is an understatement. They've scored the second fewest in the game, just behind uh, Clermont. So a proper problem scoring goals. But he is a goal scorer, as he showed in the De, as he showed at the start of the season before making that move. Um, not he's not yet to to kind of rediscover his confidence. I think because I think that time at Ajax was demoralised and he couldn't get in the team. Ajax were a mess, as, as has been well documented. So I think that it could take time, but mm. Mets are right down there. They're, they're not being cut adrift, but I think they're now three points short of the safety. I think they're in the relegation playoff spot at the minute. So I think that you're talking about the one that could have the biggest impact. Well, if he gets five, six goals between now and the end of the season, that could equate to six, nine points. That could and probably could be the, the difference between safety and relegation. So I think that he has the potential to be the best signing uh, this season and uh, I think that if, if he does rediscover his form he he could literally be the difference between League 2 and League 1 football for Mets next season Well I, I'm also a big fan of Muhammad Ali Cho I think he's got I think he's got a bright future I mean he's one of these exceptionally talented kids I think he actually did most of his youth training in England and uh, yeah. was an England youth international despite being you know Parisian born French raised went over there as a young as a young man with a, a chance at Everton, I think it was, and then before returning. But he breathes talent in the same way of a Usman Dembele for me. He's got a, a similar type of, of feel to the way he plays the game. Andreas, first up, Ligue 1 Uber Eats, the biggest spending league in Europe this winter. I mean, not only is that gobsmackingly surprising, I can't think of the last time Ligue 1 was it one of the top spenders in Europe in any transfer window. But why now? And how have they done it? Well, why now is because two clubs have spent a lot, PSG, as they often do, about 40 million, and Lyon. So it's basically down to those two, as well as Marseille, who spent a bit of the money that they got in from Lodi. So two, two of the top five in Europe are from France. <clears throat> and of course, the perennial big spenders in England are extremely scared about what's going on with financial fair play because Everton in England have been docked 10 points. Uh, they might get docked more points. Nottingham Forest uh, are up on charges. And the big one, Man City, we still don't know what's going to go on with them. So the big spenders in England have just said, well, we're not going to take any risks. Barcelona, although Barcelona spent a bit of money in January, got these financial problems. La Liga in general, clubs are not doing great. So maybe it's it's a kind of, Sowing what we reap mm -hmm. and, and French clubs who've been conservative over the years do have a bit of money, but it's mainly down to those two, Lyon and PSG. But it, it's good to see, you know, players coming in because for so long players have been leaving uh, France to go to other countries and this time uh, the direction's in the, in the other way. So it's, uh, it's good to see. Coming up later in the show, we'll be looking at how our Ligue 1 Uber Eats stars have fared internationally in the AFCON, the Africa Cup of Nations and the Asian Cup. But right now, it's time to talk some serious business a little closer to home. That's right, European action returns in a little over a week's time. So let's have a look at what lies in store for the Ligue 1 Uber Eats continental representatives as the knockout rounds begin, starting with the Champions League contenders Paris Saint-Germain. Now, many saw it as a clement draw for once, perhaps uh, fans of Les Rouges Bleu would say. It's Real Sociedad, home at the Parc des Princes and then away after Paris finished second in their group. Luke, I mentioned it earlier, there's a lot of talk about Kylian Mbappe being on the move, finally heading to Real Madrid that we've been talking about for so long. 
is this his last chance? Can Killian carry this team in what could be his final season with them all the way? I mean, the motivation is there, isn't it? I mean, he's spoken about wanting to win the Champions League, you know, for the city that that he grew up in. He's, you know, quite patriotic and he's, you know, a proper, proper Parisian at heart, shown by the fact that he's absolutely desperate also to to compete in the Olympics in the summer as well. And that seems maybe not quite a deal breaker, but it seems like, a you know, at least a factor in, in negotiations should he go to uh, Real Madrid or should he extend at PSG to seem that the direction of travel is is towards Real Madrid but but who knows it feels like the last opportunity whether he'll do it uh, is another question I mean I, I think that there have been worrying signs that we spoke about with PSG uh, at the start of the pod with, with Andreas I think that the ability or the inability to control games for 90 minutes is is obviously uh, very very worrying I, I know that Luis Enrique has been very spiky on the topic I think he was asked about it after the match against Brest and he said it's football, not basketball. And then he was asked about it uh, against Strasbourg again. And he kind of said, well, Strasbourg wanted to score a goal. Uh, so they attacked and, you know, that's how they lost control. So, you know, he's not necessarily providing the press with with very you know clear and coherent reasons as to why PSG are having this blip. And I, I do think it could just be a blip, but it's a blip at the wrong time. And it's recurring as well because it, it happened under Galtier as well. As we remember, they were so strong if you remember, until the turn of the year. And then there was just this massive drop-off. Real Sociedad looks like a nice draw, but in reality, maybe is not um, very strong in La Liga this season. I think on Luis Enrique's part, there's no chance that he will underestimate them. But I think there is a chance of PSG as a whole underestimating the challenge that Real Sociedad could pose. Because when that draw came out, you looked at it on paper and said, that is the one that you wanted. But now you've got it. Can you... Uh, you know, perform for 180 minutes and get it over the line. And the last time I saw a 90 minutes, you know, worth of PSG performance that was coherent, strong, engaged for a full 90 minutes, it, it's been a few weeks. So it's time to kind of flick the switch again and, and get back on track and, you know, pretty quickly too. Andreas, if you were to put on your Luis Enrique hat and and have a look at this side and how they've been playing and who you'd go with, I mean, I guess most of the team picks itself, but Luis Enrique hasn't had a first-choice team for a little while. How do you see them lining up? You said Mbappe through the middle, and that's been a big point of discussion. He has been playing through the middle the last couple of months. I don't think he's his best position, Robbie. I I prefer him down the left where he Mm. has a little bit more room, a little bit more space, a little bit more opportunity to to use his speed. But that seems to be, you know, the decision of of Luis Enrique. Um, He's got a lot of options up front. They have had injuries, but Asensio's has done pretty well actually the last the, the last few matches for me. He's coming back from an injury as well. I, I would start with Dem Bailey because I, I think in these kind of games he can make the difference. Obviously, Luis Enrique is going to know Real Sociedad very well. Let's not forget Real Sociedad won their group. You know that's why PSG are playing at home in the first leg. They've got a quality striker in, in Mikel Oyazabal. It certainly will be a tough one, but it, it could have been a harder match. So. Uh, I'd, I'd say PSG are the favourites. I personally prefer to have Mbappe down the left. I think he'll go down the centre and play Barcola down the left because Barcola has had a couple of good games as well. But he's got lots of options, Luis Enrique. Marseille are in action in the Europa League, Luke. They're taking on Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, that's traditionally a pretty tough match. Um, traditionally a pretty tough match for Marseille against Shakhtar as well. But but a lot of sides come unstuck against Shakhtar. They're a, they're playing for a whole lot of pride at the moment as well with the, the goings-on in Ukraine at the moment. So very briefly, how do you expect this one to go? 
Yeah, I mean, Shakhtar caused issues for French clubs. I mean, I, I believe it was Monaco that were knocked out in the uh, qualification for the uh, Champions League a couple of years by them too. Um, so, you know, there's a bit of history there. Shakhtar tend to get results against uh, against French clubs. I think that um, there is motivation, but obviously this game is going to be happening, I believe, in Hamburg, uh, in Germany. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, home advantage is, you know, reduced quite significantly there, potentially. Um, but, you know, we've spoken about Marseille. Marseille look in a little bit of trouble, but cup competitions are such that you only need a few good performances and suddenly you can find yourself in contention for a title. Um, and I think that their performances in Europe have been generally relatively convincing. I think obviously there's that performance against Ajax, which was less so. I think that was um, a Bardonado who was, it was the, it was the um, interim phase. And I think that was a 3-all yeah. or a 4-3-all or something incredible like that. Both teams, you know, really in their worst phase that they've been in in many, many years in that couple of weeks. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's going to be a difficult one. Um, I think that that's a very, very even matchup. And I wouldn't be surprised if it, it would go either way. Andreas, next up, Ren. They're on the road to AC Milan. They've got a big couple of weeks coming up. They are finding form, but they've got Sochaux in the Coupe de France, then Le Havre, AC Milan, Clermont. Probably they can not take their eye off the ball, but Le Havre and Clermont are two sides they'll be hoping to beat. And particularly, we know that they're an ambitious club that will have European ambitions. So the the prospect of taking on AC Milan and, and getting a big scalp, is it beyond them? I don't think so. I think sometimes French teams have a bit of an inferiority complex against the Italians, especially a club of Rennes' size. So I I hope they go there positive because, look, Rennes' strength is their attacking midfield, which is really good. I think it's after PSG, probably the best in France. So I hope they can take the game to Milan. Obviously, it's a a very tough game. Milan are doing well and it's a big stage and it's going to be one one of the biggest games in Rennes' European history. But uh, you know, if they go for it, uh, Martin Terrier getting back into form, as we've said, he's a, he's a fabulous player, capable of turning any match. So, so why not over the two legs? Probably outsiders, but only narrowly so. But if they can give themselves a chance when they come back home, that will be a, a great night in Rennes. Luke, I promised you we'd get to talk about Toulouse. They're, they also have a big trip. They're on their way to Benfica. Angel Di Maria's Benfica as well. I think he scored direct from a corner. He tried it about 400 times with with Paris Saint-Germain <laughs> without ever managing to score direct from a from a corner. Juan Bernat is also at Benfica as well. Julian Draxler has returned um, or returned from, from, from there where he was on loan from Paris Saint-Germain. Juan Bernat, surprise, surprise, will miss this one through injury, unfortunately for him. But uh, Di Maria is uh, going to be getting back together with a French opposition. Toulouse have shown they can do it. They've shown even that on an occasion in Ligue 1, they can still get a good result. They got one over Liverpool earlier on this season. Benfica, they've bowed out of the Champions League. They've come back down to the Europa League. Can Toulouse do that? Uh, I mean, yeah, you referenced that Liverpool result, which, you know, they've shown that they can do it. They also, you know, in Ligue 1, there's, there's signs of life as well with that 3-2 victory over Rance at the weekend. Uh, 3-0 by by half time, I believe in that one, and, and obviously there's a bit of a rant kind of fight back, and but they held on, uh, and that is signs of progress because there were questions about Carlos Martinez Novel, and they're kind of lurking a little bit perilously just above the relegation places. I would fancy Lee, uh, I'd fancy to lose sorry more if this was a one-off match rather than across two legs. I think that across two legs, I think Benfica's quality will show. They're they're very very strong favourites in this one, but you know. 
Toulouse will go in with an underdog mentality. That might suit them. It suited them when they played Liverpool. Um, so yeah, nothing to lose for them. Um, but I, I don't see them necessarily getting through. Lens take on Freiburg, the German side. Andreas, again, when you think of a side that's come down from the Champions League that are now now facing a side like Freiburg, is it wrong of Lens, obviously, to, to underestimate them? But this is a side that most French fans will be thinking, hopefully, Lens have the opportunity to continue on their way, their European adventure. Well, they'd be wrong to underestimate Freiburg. Had a, a brilliant season last year in the Bundesliga, a little bit like Real Sociedad, not quite as good this year as they were last year. But it's a great little club, Freiburg, in the in the Black Forest. It's a s- smallish club, sort of community club, and it's a big, big day for them. But you know, that'll be a great atmosphere in Lens, and I think they're targeting um, a run quite deep in that competition. And, and a lot of this is about timing, isn't it? And Lens are in a good run of form at the moment. We talked about that earlier in the pod. And I, yeah, I, I think they could score a goals, score a few goals in that first leg, and, and I'm confident that Lons can get through against Freiburg. There is one other French side still involved in European competition. It's Lille, who are of course through to the Europa Conference League round of 16, but won't be in action until the winners of the round of 32 uh, are decided, which sees Conference League group runners-up take on third-place sides from the Europa League. Um, that will be determined in two legs on the 16th and 23rd of Feb. And then LOSC will be involved in that draw. And they too will be hoping to go very deep into that competition as well. You are listening to Andreas Evagora, Luke Entwistle and myself. Don't forget to get on to League1.com for all the top flight stories in the French game. The official League 1 website in English. Okay, now it's time for the hard-hearted French football quiz that asks you to build a raft out of footballing splinters. (laughs) That's right, it's Deja Vu. Here's how it works. You use your painstakingly acquired French football knowledge and perhaps the internet to figure out which well-known former league Uber Eats player I am talking about. Once you've got it, you send your answer to league1podcast at gmail.com to go into the running for the Ligue 1 Uber Eats jersey that's up for grabs this month. Before we get to this episode's clue, it's time to announce the winner of our January prize, a stunning Ludovic Blas Wren jersey. Now, if you answered Asamoa Jan, the former Wren striker who missed the World Cup penalty in 2010 that saw Ghana just miss out on a historic place in the semis, or David Beckham, the England superstar who lifted Ligue 1 Uber Eats gold with Paris Saint-Germain in the final season of his storied career, then you are in contention for the prize. But of course, there can only be one winner, and that winner is Julian Popescu, our intrepid Lille fan from Romania. Any relation to Jika? We'll have to wait and see that fantastic uh, central defender back from Barcelona in the old days, Stau Bucharest, I think, when they went all the way to the, the Champions League. And what would that have been, Andreas? You can help me out 80, here. 86? 86. Or 87, I'd 80, say. 86. 86 it was. Which current yeah. uh, league and coach was in the team? There's a current league and coach that was Laszlo. in the team. Yeah. Yeah. Got to be. Yeah. <laughs> Still going strong. Fantastic. Lovely. And then he got he he was one of the lucky ones. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He was one of the lucky ones that got that contract into the West yes. and had a career yeah. and a life in France's playing. Popescu of course was part of that fantastic Romanian side of USA 1994. Yeah. 
very, very Great nice team. team. Very good team. Well, that's enough of that. Perhaps uh, Julian Popescu can just uh, clarify our hazy memory of those <laughs> those years gone by of Romanian football. Thank you, Julian. Congratulations. We will be in touch with you. We'll send you a little message um, to work out the delivery of your prize. So now to kick off the Deja Who Madness for February, and we have one that's a little bit harder um, for your think bones after a few of you replied that the David Beckham clue was far too easy, which I tend to concur as well. It was a free kick, basically. Here we are for our first <laughs> clue of February. Who am I? I emerged from a fabled youth academy in my homeland and debuted for the first team at just 17. A technical player with good vision and already with one domestic league title and a cup triumph to my name, I rejoined my inspirational first coach overseas after five years in the top flight. But confronted with the three foreigner rule at the time, I struggled to make my mark in a I've just seen Luke Entwistle shut down and turn off three foreigner rule. That's that's before my time. <laughs> when confronted with the three foreigner rule at the time, I struggled to make my mark in a side that won back-to-back league titles and the Champions League during my two-year spell. From there, I headed to France, making over 100 appearances in all competitions for my club over three seasons, including playing a leading role in a star-studded side that went all the way to a European final. During my time in Ligue 1, I also had a six-month loan spell where I made one appearance for the side that would lift the English Premier League title. I returned home after my time in France, back to my original club, where I won the league and two more cups before ending my career with two more overseas spells, including a final spell in Japan. I played in a World Cup and a Euro during a 10-year international career, scoring once in 31 caps. Who am I? So there you go. That is a, a long clue for you. I think there's enough for people to get it, but it's not, a, not an easy one. And of course, it always gets a little bit harder when we go back uh, to a time when there was only allowed three foreigners in any team amazing the uh before the bosman ruling so when was that that was 1995 in the 90s and so, some teams actually 94 fell foul of that didn't they they there were teams that actually brought a player on yeah. off the bench and 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 they were kicked out of european competitions uh, i think was it leeds against yeah Stuttgart? because you're only allowed three on yeah I, I, I think yeah it, it could well have been team, yeah yeah re- there were replays because there were you know, four foreigners on the pitch. It was a strange time, yeah. If you think you have the answer to our uh, ancient clue, send your answers to league1podcast at gmail.com and you could go into the running for a splendid Thais Dalinga mm. jersey from Toulouse. There's quite the Toulouse theme coming up today. So next up, AFCON 2023 has already seen its fair share of upsets and stunning performances, many of which have come from players who ply their trade right here in Ligue 1. Now, with the field narrowed to just four teams, we catch up with our man in Abidjan. That sounds like a 1970s detective show. Andy Scott to see how we got here and what we can expect in this week's semi-finals and showpiece final. How are you going, first of all? Has it been fun? Are you uh, still enjoying Abidjan? 
and uh, especially with the host nation, Cote d'Ivoire, having uh, finally come good after a rocky start and made it all the way past Mali and into the semis. Hi, Robbie. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, listen, everything's good here. I have to say that Abidjan is a, is a wonderful city, um, really, really great place um, to spend some time in and probably a very good introduction to this part of the world, I think, because um, there's no shortage of things to do. It's a real mixture of, um, of you know, sort of a lot of the things that you might typically associate with Africa, but also quite a lot of the the European influences that have come as well from from the from the French influence in particular. So, it's uh, there's so many things going on here in Abidjan, and um, I'm, I'm just back here after after being in Yamoussoukro, the capital, at the weekend for for the uh, South Africa match there. Um, so one week to go of the Afcon, it's all going well, um, and I think one thing I would say is that when when I was last on the podcast, we, we talked about the contenders. We were just coming to the end of the group stage, and after I came off the, 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 the discussion with you, I thought to myself, I didn't actually talk about Senegal, who'd been the best team in the group stage, who were the holders, of course, and we thought they might well go on to defend the trophy, and then they duly got dumped out in the last 16 on penalties by Ivory Coast. And that, that's one of the things that happens at these major tournaments, is that it's so hard to predict. You know, you might see a team doing well in the group stage, and then all of a sudden, things go slightly awry in the last 16, and they get knocked out. And and here we are now in this scenario, just crazy stuff. And we're now down to the last four. And all of a sudden, it's looking like the host nation might go all the way. Who has impressed? You just mentioned Diakite. Who else has uh, caught the eye from our, from our league army of players that are there? It's funny, I was thinking about this last night because Nigeria have been the most impressive team really at the tournament because they've been so strong defensively. And Victor Ozyman, former Lille, former league on player, has been so impressive up front, albeit not really scoring goals. But of course, the Nigerians don't have a huge league on influence in their team, with one exception, and that is Moses Simon. And Moses Simon was actually the man of the match uh, in in the quarter final here on Friday against Angola. He uh, he set up the goal, the winning goal, and he was really just you know just a, a machine running about all over the place, putting in terrific performance in the heat and humidity. It was so impressive. Uh, and credit to Moses Simon because the Nigerians have so many attacking options that it's not a given that you're going to start. Aussie Men is the first name on the team sheet, and then around him you've got so many possibilities. And guys like Samuel Chukwueze of AC Milan is not currently in the team because Moses Simon is playing. So he has caught my eye. And I think on the flip side of the Nigeria team, Terran Moffi has not got on the pitch yet, unfortunately for him, because he wasn't initially called up and then he came in at the last minute because of injuries. So Moses Simon certainly is one to, to look out for. And, and if you look at the other teams who are left in the competition, the South Africans don't have any league on presence. Um, the Ivorians certainly do. They've got a number of players from league on their side, but they've actually had a very difficult competition um, in many ways. You would say a lot of their a lot of their players have not particularly impressed. Of course, they've got a lot of ex league players in their team. Sikul Fofana has had a couple of big performances. The the, the, the former Lance man, and then the other team, of course, who the Ivory Coast play in the semi final is, is the Democratic Republic of Congo, whose captain is the inevitable Chancel Mbemba, the Marseille defender who Marseille are missing, and um, who I, I don't know if I'd say that he has necessarily impressed me, especially with his performances in this competition. But he certainly had a, a notable game in the quarter final against Guinea. He scored equalising goal, and uh, having conceded the penalty, and of course he's just such a, a, a leader on the pitch, just as he is with Marseille. But you know, there's, there's not a huge number of league players remaining. We are, of course, only down to the last four now. But a lot of the guys who had been impressing, Mohamed Bayo, for example, with with Guinea, 
who scored a few goals, who was um, essentially keeping Seru Girassi, the Stuttgart striker, out of their team, doing very well. Mohamed Bayou is now out. Him and his Guinea team have gone home. So only a few players left now. Um, it's the last week, and we'll see if any league on player is going to be returning to, to France with the trophy. Well, what are we expecting in the semi-finals, or more to the point, what are you expecting to happen in, in the semi-finals? Nigeria v South Africa. Bit of a surprise, all the same, to see South Africa make it this far, considering they didn't even qualify for the last one. Cote d'Ivoire versus Congo. Who are you thinking will be in the final? Well, I think the logical conclusion might be that you can expect a Nigeria-Ivory Coast final, which would, of course, be a real heavyweight showdown between two of the the giants of of West Africa, two teams who've won the the AFCON before. But as I touched on just before there, you know, these major tournaments in general are so hard to predict, you know, and the Nigerians have had this um, strategy of, of not conceding first and foremost, which is quite... In a way, it's quite controversial because they have so many great attacking players around Aussie men like Moses Simon, and they are putting the focus entirely on ensuring they don't concede a goal. And that can go wrong because if you do concede a goal first, suddenly you're chasing the game and it can be difficult for you. But they are stronger than the South African team, so they are favourites, you know, notwithstanding the fact that anything can happen in these games, they are the favourites. And I think in the other match, I think given everything that's happened, the Ivorians have to be favourites to beat the Congolese. And I think, as I said, from a league and perspective, that's the game I'll be at here in Abidjan. And that is the game that is more interesting because the Ivorians have more of a league and influence. Of course, they have also, having sacked Jean-Louis Gasset, they have uh, an interim coach, such an unusual thing in a, in a, during a major tournament. They have a caretaker manager, M.S. Faye, who was born in France, who played for Nantes, who played for Nice, and who you may remember, of course, uh, Robbie, from the 2006 AFCON. He was in the Ivory Coast team along with Didier Drogba. They got to the final of that competition and lost on penalties to Egypt. He's now the manager. If you look at that Ivorian team, there is such such a strong French influence in the sense of so many players who play in Ligue 1, so many players who were born in France, who used to play in Ligue 1, guys like Nicolas Pepe, Sébastien Allaire, but also Diakite, albeit Umar Diakite will not play in this semi-final because he got sent off for a second yellow card for his celebrations after scoring the winning goal against Mali. So um, so that will be really, really fascinating against this Congolese team. And I think to sum up, what I expect is utter chaos, <laughs> a low-scoring game between the Nigerians and the South Africans and just all sorts of crazy stuff in the other match because with the Ivorians... It has been a crazy ride at this AFCON, but I think they might well get to the final. I think they start to believe it's now written in the stars. And you see it around, you know, I drove back from Yamasukro, the three-hour drive, down the motorway yesterday, and, and you go past all these villages on the side of the roads and, and people selling things at the, the market stalls. And everybody is wearing a, an orange Ivory Coast top. Everybody's supporting the elephants. They're all beginning to believe they're going to win the trophy. And I think it might just happen, which would be one of the most remarkable conclusions to any major international tournament that we've ever had, given the way they started. So so I, I would not be surprised if that's what's going to happen now. Well, enjoy the roller coaster ride all the way for another week until the final and then travel back safely and get your teeth back into Ligue 1 football as soon as you're back. Maybe you'll need a couple of days to recover. Of course, but thank you very much, Andy, for joining us. Uh, listen, Robbie, the day after I get back, you will, of course, know this. It's uh, There's a big game at the Parc des Princes. There is indeed. In the Champions League for PSG, so there will be, there'll be no time no time <laughs> to lie around and recover. It'll be straight back into it. And then, of course, Lee Gander the following weekend. So it's all good. Fantastic. All right, travel safe, Andy. Cheers, Robbie.
Well, the Asian Cup is also still going, but unfortunately, the Socceroos have bowed out. They were beaten 2-1 after extra time by Korea Republic. Um, it was a pretty interesting match, actually. Australia had the better of the opening exchanges before Lee Kang-in of Paris Saint-Germain helped Korea Republic to get that win and knock the Socceroos out at the quarterfinal stage. So Korea Republic are in to the semifinals and Japan of Minamino and Nakamura were eliminated by Iran yesterday. Iran are a good side, but Japan were certainly firming as favourites for this competition. That's a big upset for them. So South Korea are just about favourites now. They will take on a Jordan side that managed to overcome Tajikistan by a goal to nil. Uh, Al Tamari playing and featuring for Jordan in this tournament. And the other semi-final will be Iran versus Qatar, who defeated Uzbekistan on penalties. So Lance's central defender, Abdulkadir Khusanov, is out of the competition. He'll be heading back to Lens for a big second half of the season with them as well. So we will be keeping our eyes on the final stages of the Asian Cup as well to see whether one of our two final Ligue 1 representatives left in the competition can go all the way. Don't forget to join the conversation. Check out everything on Twitter at League One underscore ENG. And uh, for the podcast, wherever you're listening to us, don't forget to subscribe so it drops into your inbox automatically and give us a little rating. Well, gentlemen, we are just about done. Time to look ahead, first of all, to the upcoming matches. Very quickly, we'll have a look at the Coupe de France because there's the round of 16 coming up. Ligue 1 clubs are involved. Paris Saint-Germain take on Brest for the second time in 10 days. Rennes are on the road to Sochaux. Andreas, expecting any big upsets? Could Brest get up over, over PSG, for example, or will we see a, a Sochaux knockoff Rennes? Luis Enrique has really been playing up the French Cup. Um, it, it, when he was interviewed after the last match, they were talking about Real Sociedad, and he, he said, and I quote, we could all be dead in 12 days. Um, so we, he's really concentrating on the cup. And, you know, <laughs> PSG needs silverware. You know, they're expected to win. So I, I think they will really go out all out and try and get that. Montpellier-Nice looks interesting as well because Nice Nice could be a good, um, with their defence, a, a good bet for the Cup. So some very interesting matches there all round, yeah. Luke, what, can you see any any surprises here? Do you have any Cup magic to uh, get us excited? I, I do think that Sosho could pull something off uh, against uh, against Ren. I mean, Sosho, you know, obviously not a bad side and, and historically a, a very, very big club anyway. Um, I think that Stad Rene's kind of, their interest is elsewhere this month. Loads of bigger priorities. I wouldn't be surprised to see a much weaker uh, team fielded, especially with obviously league and football at the weekend as well. So I think there's a potential for an upset uh, between Sochaux and Ren for sure. Okay, let's look now at round 21 of the league and season, which is coming up this coming weekend. A um, couple of big matches as well. Nice-Monaco, that is a huge clash in the race for a top three finish. Monaco can get to within a point of Les Aiglons. PSG take on Lille. If Les Dogues lose that one in the capital, they could be overhauled by Inform Reims, who face bottom side Lorient, although Lorient are also showing a, a few signs of life at the moment as well. 
Marseille take on Metz, a chance for Gattuso's men to claim a bit of redemption and reassert their European credentials. Clermont versus Brest. Can the Pirates keep on rolling against second from bottom Clermont? Luke, which of these matches in round 21 is catching your eye? I think there's there's no surprise when I say it's probably Nice-Monaco, obviously my two most <laughs> local teams. Uh, the closest league and derby as well, only 20 kilometres between the two. Um, not necessarily always the hottest derby. Uh, actually, is a little bit more so when it's at the Stade Louis Deux, when you get all the Nice fans travelling down on the scooters through the tunnels of Monaco <laughs> with all the flares and, and down the coast. That, that's, uh, that's kind of a nice moment. But uh, a big game nonetheless. Um, obviously, Nice came out the, the better side of that match at the Louis de earlier in the season. That was a, an odd match, if you remember, with Balogun missing two penalties and then Nice nicking it right at the end. So there'll be a, an element of wanting to avenge that very strange defeat. And I think it could be a great match. Um, so yeah, definitely looking forward to that one. And it's nice that it's in my back garden. Fantastic. What a what a, what a a way to to live your passion for Ligue 1 football, being able to <laughs> to head down and catch the, the Côte d'Azur derby. Andreas, round 22 could be a, a good time for Brest to take on Marseille. The Pirates, they are just three points behind second place Nice, who have a tough trip to Lyon, mm. which is also a tough test for Lyon as well, and their coach Pierre Sage, as they look to bring in a host of new faces, as you've mentioned, the big spending Olympic Lyonnais, desperate to try and pull away from the bottom of the table. Andreas, it's a It's a big round, and because we've only got 34 rounds of football this season as well, we're really starting to just come around the final bend and towards the final straight, and there are points to be won and important points to be lost as well at the moment. Yeah, that's right, and that's uh, that's why these these relegation battles are are quite interesting. I mean, Montpellier are not quite out of it yet, Montpellier against Metz, but I'm looking at Brest-Marseille because if Marseille don't beat Metz uh, in the week before, in the next match day, I mean, that's a good chance, a great chance for them to get three points because Mets have been poor. You know, Marseille are going to be under huge pressure mm-hmm. and, and that's a tough, very tough place to go to Brest at the moment. Um, so that that could, Sparks could fly there, uh, Brest against Marseille. So that's another long trip for Marseille. But if they haven't <laughs> beaten Mets the week before, that, you know, that really is a must win for them. Well, they certainly cannot afford to lose. Uh, at Brest. So that's a big one to look out for. And that Montpellier Mets will be interesting with the, you know, the relegation battles ahead, as you were saying. All right. Le Bourgeois will be back in two weeks' time to take a look at rounds 21 and 22 and preview rounds 23 and 24. We'll be looking into the European matters. There'll be the second instalment of our Ligue 1 Legends series on cult players, Professor Andreas Evagora. You'll be looking at uh, one of Ligon's most illustrious mullets, <laughs> by all accounts, in the, in that next episode. That should be a good one. Not an Australian either, uh, where, of course, the mullet originally came from, um, or at least we lay claim to it. Is that something we should lay claim to? I'm not sure. Anyway, we'll have our second Deja Who clue for February as well um, in that hunt for the Tice Delinga jersey. All that and, of course, our customary comprehensive coverage of all the talking points from the world of French football. Until then, on behalf of Andreas Evagora, Luke Antwistle and myself, Robbie Thompson, and the entire Le Bourgeois team, even those that couldn't join us this weekend, we wish you bon match, bon footing, and we'll see you again next time. Yeah.